Hey, pull up a chair. Tax on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Morning, Murphy. Good morning. Here we are. Lots going on. We're working the early shift today. This is our- yeah. We got uh, articles of impeachment coming. I think even as we speak, uh, articles of impeachment. So that process is moving along. It's throwback Tuesday in Washington. The president's uh, menacing another FBI director and uh, meeting with a Russian foreign minister. So, hey, on this impeachment thing, mm-hmm. I don't know if did you watch any of that grinding sort of root canal of a you know i tried but i think in the end i decided i'm waiting for the ice show i've got the gist and i i think he did it so they're moving today's the day yeah let me ask you something you know the republican strategy has been very clear the white house strategy partisanize them as much as possible turn it tribal treat the thing as a uh just more washington uh politics uh, I spoke to uh, uh, a high-ranking Democrat who was familiar with the Kentucky uh, governor's race, who said that the race really did narrow when uh, impeachment came into focus. There, it did get uh, their people going. Uh, but do you think this thing? We know it's going to happen. The House is going to vote it out. The Senate's going to vote it down. It'll probably be done by February. You think this thing's going to have any impact? Significant impact? on what happens a year from now? You know, I think it's going to be essentially a double. In other words, it's going to hurt Trump, but not kill him. The Trump people will be able to say, oh, we got exonerated. You know, they didn't have enough votes in the Senate, blah, blah, deep state, blah, blah, confusion, blah, blah. But fundamentally, it takes up a tremendous amount of news space. The narrative is pretty simple. And if you don't like Trump, which is now a majority of the voters, you get more intense because it's like fuel for the fire. So I think it will hurt him, but it's not going to be what the entire election turns out. Yeah. I mean, I have to tell you, I wonder so many things are going to transpire between now and then. I wonder I wonder how much of, you know, you hear Republicans saying, oh, Pelosi is making a huge uh, mistake and she's menacing her members. I just don't, you know, I don't know. I actually think Pelosi is smart to have put this on an expedited timetable. Uh, the facts are pretty clear. Uh, they can vote on it uh, and uh, clear it out of the House. And then most of 2020 will not be, uh, they will not be occupied on. And she's also slimmed down the counts. I mean, she's cleaned this thing up. She's clearly maximizing the vote she's going to get. She says she doesn't count votes on this. This is a vote of conscience. You can bet she's counting votes. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I counting once, twice, three times. And I agree, fast is good. Because then the Republicans are saying, well, let's make the trial the general election. And the Democrats are likely to say after the Senate and the show they put on, sure, let's do it. And and add it to everything else there after Trump on. And it's a pretty target-rich environment. Just uh, not to touch on a raw nerve with you, but I I spoke to a a Senate Republican the other day. And I said, how many Republicans do you think uh, Trump will lose? And he said, I think it's more likely that a Democrat will cross over than that a Republican will cross over. He said, you know, that, uh, you know, keep an eye on Romney and Murkowski, but uh, generally he thought that they would, uh, that they would hold the line and maybe that Kirsten Cinema of Arizona, who's, uh, you know, fashions herself as a middle of the road Democrat will, will cross over. So I'm just reporting that to you, not to depress you, <laughs> not to provoke you, uh, but, uh, 
But you remain on the optimistic side of the scale from the uh, never Trumper camp here well, as to what might happen. I got a uh, uh, encrypted telegram message that uh, we took Axelrod for a ride. The conspiracy moves forward. I think he fell for <laughs> it. No, the truth is, look, you're right. I never said I thought they all would. I do think a few may drop off, and you named a few of my targets. There are one or two more. So I think the 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 betting game and the Republican uh, uh, deal, and again, we're going to get the uh, the the trial and the great drama and all that. But fundamentally, I think the vast majority of the caucus will vote to their shame party line, look the other way. But if a couple of Republicans, a Murkowski, a Romney, one or two others, Sikama perhaps, and you know, I don't, I don't want to do the name name and ruin their Republican careers, but there is, I think, some speculation that uh, enough could do it to make it a 51 vote. Uh, so as part of that campaign war over this that we talked about, the Democrats will be able to say a bipartisan majority in the Senate voted to convict, which helps keep the charge alive and helps undercut the fact that Trump says, oh, he was totally cleared. No, a majority said you were guilty of sin. You know, a rhetorical weapon for later. But we'll see. You know, it, it could be zero, uh, could be two or three. I think it could be as many as five. All right. Enough of that. We got an election to talk about. Indeed. A lot going on on your side. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's that time of season. You and I have both been through it. You have the same two people on top, uh, Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren. And not surprisingly, the two of them have turned their guns on each other. Buttigieg, uh, you know, on Warren for not disclosing her corporate clients and her tax returns from the years when she was doing corporate consulting. Uh, And uh, Warren on Buttigieg for not disclosing his McKinsey clients. Uh, and uh, not disclosing who's raising money for him. His so-called bundlers are opening up his his campaign fundraisers. So it is the season. Everybody else <laughs> is like thinking about giving gifts, and yeah, the they're... candidates are throwing uh, missiles at each other. Missiles, not mistletoe, missiles. Missiles, pure missiles. But I, I, was, I was laughing about this because in many ways, putting on my old uh, Republican uh, spiked helmet here, it was amusing because it was a classic Democrat slappy fight. They went at it for four days and then they both surrendered. Um, <laughs> Warren said, okay, you got me. I'll, I'll release the fact I made a couple million bucks as a private lawyer, most of which we already knew. And Pete said, enough already, McKinsey, please, please release the stuff. And yes, come to my fundraisers. And now the, the uh, Pete people are trying to pivot to offense. Everybody else do the same. Open to your fundraisers. It's all process. So I think they should both declare victory and move on. I did see one thing. There was a good Shane Goldmacher's story in the New York Times this morning about um, uh, Warren revamping her deal. And that's what I've been waiting for, to see how her campaign reacts to the fact she's apparently stalled a bit. I noticed that part of her routine is to pound on Mike Bloomberg, which is an easy enemy in a Warren Hall. Oh, bad billionaire, bad billionaire. I would be careful if I were them, simply because one of the reasons Bloomberg and his wallet got into the race was a dislike for Elizabeth Warren and her agenda. So the mayor is totally capable of responding with a little Christmas gift of his own, about 25 million bucks worth of television in the March states, all about Elizabeth Warren, Medicare for all. So careful, you might get that lump of coal, Elizabeth. This could be quite a fight where she'll win the lefties, but he will do damage to her with the moderates, which is where Pete, to some extent Biden, and maybe even Klobuchar in Iowa are making progress. So uh, it's a tricky calculation for her. What do you think? Of, you know, the Klobuchar is an interesting person here. One, uh, in, in one sense, because she is the other prominent woman left in the race, apologies to Tulsi Gabbard, 
uh, and I guess, is Williamson still in the race? Marion Williamson? I think I she is. I saw her floating down Sunset Boulevard the other day in the direction <laughs> of New Hampshire, so I'm going to assume yes. But uh, but Klobuchar is the major contender among the women who are remaining, uh, other than Warren. Uh, so uh, you know she she can take some votes that are motivated that way from Warren. She's also someone who is uh, who could take votes in that sort of center moderate lane uh, from uh, from Biden, uh, potentially from Buttigieg. I'm told in Iowa she's doing. Uh, particularly well in those sort of small town and river counties and uh, and with non-college whites, which is the Biden uh, base. And the question is, uh, you know, she's showing some signs of propulsion. Can she leverage her way into this right. thing while she's sitting in Washington doing the impeachment hearing or trial? This is her window. You know, it was interesting. My wife and I were at a party uh, in Los Angeles, and it was a, a bunch of high-powered lawyers, mostly female. And I just, you know, kept an eye on the police scanner in the background and listened in. And politics came around, and they were talking about how much they really liked Amy Klobuchar. So I said to them, and I tweeted this, if you like Amy, right now is the time to send money. Because she's got about a two-week window here to get something going. And it looks like she, you know, she's got the beginnings of that. But money for television and digital is critical. As as you say, with her stuck in D.C. after the holidays, now is the time to start building that momentum. And my guess is they don't have a lot of money. So it's not. This isn't a commercial. Right? This <laughs> no, is no. analysis. All we right, only wanna... plug our fine sponsors in the X-Files here. This is not a Murphy uh, endorsement for, uh, for Klobuchar at all. But I'm just saying, if you're for her, now is the time that counts because later's not going to count. Because this is the moment of testing for that campaign and money's part of it. And I think that could be their weakness. I, I, I have not been too lazy to research how much television they're running in Iowa, but they need it right now. Uh, so anyway, that that's just a um, uh, 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 free hacks on tap uh, piece of advice to Amy supporters. True of all candidates, but particularly her. And I agree, this could be it. Let's see how she does in Polk and Blackhawk, some of the bigger places, uh, as well as sweeping up the rural, rural counties on the uh, kind of next door argument. But yeah, I, I think this could be the moment if it happened. Since you slightly slipped in the Axe Files, I appreciate <laughs> Speaking that. Speaking of that. Check, checks in the mail for that. Uh, I had Andrew Yang on there last week. He, he, we did a live uh, thing in front of an audience uh, at the University of Chicago, the Institute of Politics. And, uh, you know, he, he was very overt about taking a shot at all the septuagenarians in the race uh, and said they just didn't, essentially said they didn't understand the world uh, as it is. So is it your feeling that if you're in your, if you're nearing your 80th birthday that you might not have command of these forces? I don't think you will have experienced them as directly, uh, particularly if you've been in an environment, let's call it Washington, D.C., uh, where... Just to pick one at random. Where your, where your incentives in everyday lives are very, very different. Uh, and also, your town generally is uh, 25 years behind the curve in technology because you got rid of the Office of Technology Assessment in 1995. That leads me to the, the front runner in the race. I mean, you still, if you look at national polls, Joe Biden sits there at the top of the race. But he had a kind of a strange moment last week in Iowa that mm-hmm. 
either uh, cheered you because he showed some fire and some gumption or scared the hell out of you because it looked like he may be cascading to a, uh, toward a wall. Uh, let, let's take a listen <laughs> to that, that exchange with a, a, a truculent questioner in, at an Iowa town hall. We all know Trump uh, has been messing around in the Ukraine over there, holding their foreign aid for, for them to come up saying that they're an investigation. We know all about that. And he's, he's uh, no back on him, we know that for that. But you, on the other hand, set your son over there to get a job and work for a gas company. But, he had no experience with gas or nothing. In order to get access to the public, to, for the president. So you're, you're selling access to the president just like he does. So you've got a damn liar, man. That's not true. And no one has ever said that? No one has heard that? I no. see it on the TV. You see it on the TV. No, I know you do. And by the way, that's why I, I'm not sedentary. I don't like it up and... and, and no, let, 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 let him go. Let him go. Look, the reason I'm running is because I've been around a long time and I know more than most people know. And I can get things done. That's why I'm running. And you want to check my shape on, let's do push-ups together here, man. Let's do, let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. Let's take a nice Number two. Number two. No one has said my son has done anything wrong, and I did not on any occasion. And no one has ever said it. Not I didn't one... say you were doing anything wrong. I you said, said I set up my son to work in an oil company. Isn't that what you said? I Get your words straight, Jack. That's what I hear on, the, on MSNBC. All the you don't hear that on MSNBC. You did not hear that at all. What you heard. Look, okay, I'm not going to get in an argument with you, man. Well, yeah, you do. But, uh, but look, fat, look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. It, it looks. It looks like you, you don't have any more backbone than the Trump does. Any other questions? Yeah. So let's 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 unpack this. It, it, it's yeah, either. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think some will hear it as Joe Biden rightly correcting the guy uh, and standing up for his kid and standing up for the truth. And maybe they're projecting ahead and saying, here's a guy who's ready to take on Donald Trump. Others will hear him kind of absurdly challenging the guy to push-ups and an IQ test uh, and basically telling him to get off my lawn. Did that help him or did it hurt him? Well, Jack, let me tell you. You know, you get Biden's Irish heart, you get his temper. I I think it helped him, and here's my argument. It was far from a slick, perfect campaign performance. It was cringeworthy in some ways. But Biden, at that moment, to me at least as an observer, switched from kind of a sloppy, gaff-prone candidate who was always on a defensive, hidden from the media, curled up into a ball, into sloppy offense. And I think that's the pivot he needs. Let Joe be Joe. Uh, get the full Joe show. They ought to do even more media access. They've always been kind of chicken about that, which I think, and we've talked about this. Including the X Files, man. They, 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 I've talked to every major, every major candidate for president. Almost all of the candidates. There's only one who I haven't had, and that's yeah, uh, that's Joe Biden. Is, so if you Biden I'm folks gonna, are listening, I'm, the I, <laughs> the invitation is is with you. Uh, I'd love to sit down with him, uh, and we can talk about his life and his history, uh, which I know very well. 
I know. Well, look, we, we've now set a record, a double X-Files plug. But you're right. If you're Biden, and look, I believe me, I say this without uh, any particular, you know, uh, you're my buddy, but it makes political sense. Go on the X-Files and do 45 minutes of Obama, you know, uh, playback in the good old days. It's nothing but upside for Biden, but all media would be upside for Biden. You can't hide his Bidenness. It's going to break through like in that event. So B- Biden, you know, throwing chairs on offense is not perfect. But it's a lot better than the Biden we've got. Because most of all, it puts him in the center of the race. We're talking about Joe Biden. Uh, and he's got the polling numbers to do something with that. So, you know, may- maybe he'll uh, cut down on the coffee a little bit. But No, uh, yeah, I thought you were calling for more cups of Joe. Is what <laughs> that that was here. just about enough. But the <laughs> point is, if that were a debate in uh, the general election, he said that to Trump, there'd be standing ovations across the Democratic Party. And I think they smell a little bit of that on him in that motion. So net, net, big positive. And my only worry, I will tell you my Biden worry, I have enjoyed the no malarkey bus tour, but I'm terrified they're going to get cocky and switch over to the 23 Skidoo canvas blitz. So <laughs> enough with the anachronism names. Let Joe be Joe. Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I half agree with you. Uh, I don't, I thought that he was fine. I actually thought when he called the guy a damn liar, you know, it was probably fine. It was good. It was, it was spirited. It was, it was real. It was him coming to the defense of his son and the truth. That was great. The push-ups, the IQ test. I don't know, man, I, I could do without that, but you have, but I, but where I agree with you is he is who he is. He's either going to win it by who he is or he's not, but you right, can't right. hide him. And that was a mistake I thought they made earlier in the race. And uh, now they're correcting that, and they're right to correct it. He also did, by the way, an interview on Axios, which had its own moments. Uh, and he, once again, certifying Buttigieg's rise in this race, went after him mm-hmm. uh, on what I think we're going to hear more of in the debate next week, more on that in a second. He went after him on race. Congressman James Clyburn, your friend and the highest ranking African-American in politics today, said there's no question that older voters have issues with Mayor Pete being gay. Do you agree? I'm not going to comment on that. That's Jim's. Jim would know better than I would. Yeah, well, well, you've spent a lot of time in South Carolina. I think he said, I think everyone knows that. I'm not going to sit here and tell you otherwise. Well, look, I think you know that I'm the first guy to come out nationally for gay marriage. I, uh, I, and yeah, I, I think that got a little attention. Well, no, it did. Um, but I told the president ahead of time, if I ever got, I wouldn't press it. But if I got asked the question, I didn't have to evolve anymore. I knew where I was for a long time. So I think the fact that Mayor Pete is uh, is gay and married, I, I, I give him, uh, you know, I, I give him great compliments for that. I, I don't have any problem with that. But I think that the fact is that unrelated to that, Mayor Pete obviously has had difficulty garnering black support in his home city and his, because it relates to a lot of other things. But I, I come out well, of... It relates to a lot of other things. Like well, what? for example, you know, whether it's, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, the firing of an African-American police chief, the shooting, I mean... A whole you think ra- those are real problems for him? Well, I'm, I'm not making that judgment, but the folks... Well, it sounds like you are. No, I'm saying if you take a look at why he doesn't have support in significant black sport even in his own city his own city but i come out of a different milieu completely i my political yeah that's not a malarkey no, word no that's not that's a, a fancy word. word you know i took five years of french you know i remember but look here, here's the point i come out of an environment where i have the eighth largest black population in the country in my state and 
that's where I got my political education. I mean, I've never been uncomfortable or unwelcomed in the African-American community and uh, because they know I care deeply about the issues that, this, that, that affect them and systemic racism still exists. That is just back to the core point. You're never going to get perfect Biden. You know, you're never going to get that Obama-like verbal precision, but it's pretty good. I think he does okay. They ought to just turn him loose and take him for what he is. So two things I would say about that. One is, I don't think probably President Obama, and I'm just guessing, I haven't talked to him, I don't, but when he said, I told him I didn't need to evolve anymore. I knew where I stood on gay marriage. That was a sh- kind of a shot at Obama, which I would stay away from if I were him, because the fact of the matter is, as much as Joe Biden talks about his relationship with the black community, he didn't have significant support in the black community in 2008 uh, when he ran for president. He has it now because of his loyal service in the Obama administration. He had Obama's back for eight years. That's why there is this very strong bond between him uh, and the black community. He said, I come out of an environment where I have the eighth largest black population in the country, my state, and that's where I got my political education. He doesn't have the eighth largest black population in the country in his state. He's from Delaware. 21% of Delaware is black. That he can get away with because, you know, we're in the age of Trump. That that is a a minor uh, bump in the road. But, uh, you know, he (laughs) is, it is, it is, it all contributes to the Mr. Magoo thing, which is, (laughs) He, as you point out, he's moving forward, and you just hope he doesn't scrape the wall and, uh, and, and crash the jalopy. You know, just three minutes ago, I think we had him talked into the X-Files. We had him. I can feel the schedule <laughs> no, dialing listen, up. I have a, no, 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 I have... no, no, no. You're right. Look, it's Biden, though. That's my point. There, there's no fixing Biden. Biden, like Trump, is the atomic clock of what he is. So my guess is the best thing for them to do is shove the chips in and see how it turns out. You're totally right. And, uh, you know, uh, the I've always said, and you probably believe it as well, having worked for John McCain, uh, that authenticity is the single greatest asset you can have in a presidential race. And you can't win without it. You right, can't pretend right, right. to be what you're not. He is who he is. He's got significant strengths and he either will rise or fall on them. Uh, but and one of them is, you know, he kind of says what he thinks. And uh, he says it in his own way. Uh, And, you know, he's still on his bicycle. Now, I will say, you know, the stress test will be Iowa and New Hampshire. If he can survive those, he could do well. Uh, If he doesn't, not not only could he do well, but he he will be in in good shape because he does have strong support in the African-American community. It doesn't look like there's going to be an African-American candidate coming out of those two states. So he doesn't have a lot of competition for that vote in South Carolina uh, and beyond. But, you know, it's going to be it's going to be uh, hair raising from start to finish. <laughs> and that that is the joy of it, because all this stuff gives him one advantage for good or bad. He's now in the middle of the debate. And, and when in doubt, if you're kind of a persona candidate, that that's what you want. There's no cold calculating way for him to operate. I mean, and I, I don't mean this as a knock on the guy, but Pete is the opposite. He's been working on the angle since he was 11 to be president. And look, I like smart presidents. I don't think <laughs> which wasn't that long thing. ago, by the way. <laughs> but but so, you know, I, again, I, I'm hitting the uh, ham, the nail with the hammer again. Again, let Biden be Biden. My gut has always been he won't make it. He start with expectations. He'll flame out in the early states. If I had to bet money, I'd, I'd still bet it. But they ought to use this as a pivot point. 
open them up to the press, put on the daily, can't miss it, highs and lows, Biden show. I agree with that. I agree with that. And it'll always, he'll always give us good sound bites to talk about on Hacks on Tap. So Bloomberg has already spent, what, $85 million or something? He's already spent more than Tom Steyer has in, in, <laughs> in, in his previously lavish uh, campaign for, uh, uh, for president. But to be so, fair, for Mike Bloomberg, that roughly translates into three cents. Lunch yes. money. Yes, lunch yeah, money. Yeah. Imagine if Styro were spending that money, Murphy, on impeachment ads now when it actually matters, yeah. uh, rather than when he when it was premature and probably unhelpful. Well, I will say, and again, look, I'm a Bloomberg fan, which is probably bad news for the primary. And disclosure, I've worked for those guys in the past. I like them. Bloomberg has a story. I don't think Steyer does. Um, Bloomberg's been elected to something Steyer hasn't. But your point is well taken. Poor, it's like the thing with the, the, the cartoon with the fish. You see the one fish eat the other fish, and then a much bigger fish comes up and eats the fish that used to be the big fish. So the question is, will anybody in the Democratic primary environment get excited about Mike Bloomberg? You know, look, I've said it here. Bloomberg is a, he's a very formidable person in many, many ways, uh, not just the business he built, but his philanthropy, his advocacy on, on guns, on climate change and so on. He's just not a guy who has a constituency within the Democratic Party, and he has to try and create one. And I think that's very, very hard to do. He's also not, you know, a stellar uh, sort of personality or campaigner. He did his first interview last week on CBS uh, with Gail King. And, uh, you know, I thought it was it was sort of it, it highlighted uh, some of the problems. He got into trouble, actually, at least with the press, maybe not with the public, uh, by uh, when she asked him about the new rule at Bloomberg that they can't do any investigative reporting of any of the Democratic candidates because they can't investigate him. And therefore, it wouldn't be fair to investigate uh, the others. And she asked him about that. He recently said, Mini Mike Bloomberg has instructed his third-rate news organization not to investigate him or any Democrat, but to go after President Trump only. Well, you've got a nickname already. What's your response to it? Well, I don't know that I would accept the nickname. (laughs) When I started a news business in my company, I hired somebody outside. Their job is to run the news organization. Their job is to set the ethics. Um, I think people have said to me, how can you investigate yourself? And I said, I don't think you can. Mm -hmm. But if you take a look at the Bloomberg News Organization, we carry news from uh, lots of different mm-hmm. places like New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. There's plenty of ways for people to get news about the candidates if they look at Bloomberg News. But even your own uh, news reporters have complained. They think it's unfair that they're not allowed to investigate they, other Democratic candidates because their boss okay, is in the race. We have, you just have to learn to live with some things. Okay. They get a paycheck. But with with your paycheck comes some restrictions and responsibilities. He may be right. They get a paycheck. You know, basically he was saying they get a paycheck, so grow up. But but let me just inter- interject on that one. It, you know, it, it, it's it's right, and there are a lot of other reporters investigating everybody else. So it's not like a net loss to the cause of the truth, but it's awkward. And, you know, again, it puts them on the defensive because it's hard to explain. It's it's more about his affect. You know, Bloomberg, yeah. just he's just not... He's just not a he's not a really he's not a warm and fuzzy guy. 
uh, and he's not a guy who loves to be asked the irritating questions. And, <laughs> well, you know, I wouldn't be either if I had his balance sheet. But I will say, and again, if you had this his balance be, sheet, though, you probably wouldn't be running for president. I don't know. That, that, that I would, I would have a magnificent yacht collection. the The thing, though, is it's kind of like Biden. I think the best thing Bloomberg has going for him, other than the ability to put a message out there and let people decide if they like him or not, is he can do a little bit of all right time for daddy. Time for the grown-up. You know what? I'm not that good at kissing babies. I can destroy Trump. I'm a real billionaire. I'm the pro from Dover. I did a lot in New York. That's what he's got. So even if he starts chewing out reporters Rumsfeld style, that's his thing. It's who he is. And again, if I were them, I'd bet on it. I'd yeah. turn him loose. I'd, I'd let him be Bloomberg. And maybe there's a percentage. That, you know what? In this turbulent, crazy time, a super pro, a bigger shark than Trump, nah, maybe that's the way to go. That, that's the monkey trick, and that's what they ought to bet on. Maybe. I mean, that's what they are betting on. They're betting on, they're betting on a car uh, crash, uh, a pileup uh, after the first four contests, and uh, you know, people opening up their, their aperture to look for some other alternative because no one is, is breaking through. And you know, they're putting, you know, as we've said before, probably half a billion dollars on that bet between now and Super Tuesday, and we'll see where it works out. The other thing I, I liked about doing the interview, because I'm sure they're reading clips and people are saying, oh, you missed this question, all true. But I, until that moment of that interview, other than the spots that people would see in some of the March states and, and nationally where they're spending all those dollars, they, um, it was a process campaign. It was like a ransom note for a while. I'm going to do this. If you do that, I'll file here. And he finally got a little why I ought to be president content out there. So I would double down on that in the persona and just let it rip. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. She's good. Gail King is good. And I thought it was, a, it was an illuminating uh, interview. And uh, we'll see how it works out. I, you know, all, all of these candidates have flaws. Uh, and challenges, and uh, unlike us, where we are the citadel, the high lantern of insight here. Listen, you don't um, think that's a burden to carry around? That's, <laughs> not, that's... I still feel guilty over what we did to poor Kamala last week. Just a a quick mention from us into a machine. People haven't even heard it yet, and she was dropping out of the race. Now, speaking of Kamala, we have to use our power carefully here. <laughs> There's a sticky wicket going on in this debate. You know, one old fashioned campaign move I was expecting to see was somebody like Pete reach out to the Biden and Klobuchar people and lead an effort to send a letter to PBS asking that Corey be included in the debate. Um, a little bit of inside business for the media would have been a nice narrative, but I guess they're all each other's throats so much they, they don't want him there. But now Corey is the only African-American other, other than Tulsi, the only, I would say, Senate-level serious candidate. And, you know, he's got something to talk about now. And so I, I don't know if that'll be enough he well look he's already that that is where he's turned he he you know he's been speaking out about it and yep. you said last week and i agreed that that would be a play you know that uh the 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 uh the absence of a, a candidate of color in the race uh in the debate you know was an issue and uh he's he's playing that card i don't know man i think Cory Booker is the best and most appealing 2% candidate that i've seen you know, I mean, he every debate we say he's done well. We've talked about this before, and yet he doesn't move his numbers. So I'm not sure that the debate over the debate will move his numbers either. But he's trying to certify himself as as a you know with his with a base. But you're right, that'd be a shrewd play. Although I have to say, if you're the DNC 
uh, if you're the DNC, can you really waive the rules? It's not up to the broadcasters to do it. It's these are DNC rules. Right, uh, right. The, the broadcaster letter would have been a public platform tactic, but you're right, the DNC, but my guess is they'd fold under pressure like a cheap chair if the other candidates said it was okay. Yeah, I don't know about that. I really don't know about that because I think there are long-term implications for that. If, you know, And this will, I'm sure, uh, uh, fetch uh, letters it of would, protest. But it would, it would, you guys, I know you people, you guys would uh, immediately jump on it as an affirmative action play. We, we people, we people. Now that's just a kind of <laughs> yeah, I know kind you of people hate speech that, um, <laughs> that has brought the country to the swamp we're in now, divided against each other. I would say this: I would love to have seen Tom Perez in that hot seat with the candidates um, uh, demanding that the only serious African-American candidate in the race be allowed into the debate, and he has to sit there and say no, citing paragraph 48. But maybe, maybe he would have. We're not going to know now. And I agree with you on Corey. You know, we're almost to the point where we can kind of close the laboratory and announce that whatever, for whatever reasons, whatever he was selling didn't sell. But this debate kerfuffle and being the only candidate, um, African-American candidate in the race right now is, is his last play to run here. Uh, and if this works, maybe it'll get him going. If not, I think he'll never make it to New Hampshire. Yeah. And, well, and he's also got re-election this year. So, I mean, I'm true enough. it shouldn't be a problem. But at some point, he's going to have to turn his attention to that uh, and acknowledge that this isn't working if indeed a, a miracle doesn't happen here. So before we get to last call with the patented music in the mailbag, uh, let's talk about one of our sponsors. What do we got, X? What we got is Policy Genius. And what you know what Policy Genius does for you? It takes the stress out of looking for life insurance. You you probably need life insurance, given all the people you've antagonized and everything. <laughs> I could use a policy. You're right. And uh, you know how hard it is to sift through all the different options and figure it out. Well, Policy Genius helps you get that done. Yeah, I like the way they operate because this is the holiday season. You're around loved ones. You think about things like life insurance, and it's stressful. So why not get rid of the stress and know in only a few minutes on PolicyGenius.com you can sort it all out. They What they do, it's a very good business model. Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers, well-rated insurers, to find your best price. You can save $1,500 or more by using Policy Genius to compare and get the best deal for you. And once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape and get it done. Yeah, and yeah. you do it all online. I mean, that, that just takes so much of the stress and effort and everything out of it. Let them do the work. So if you need life insurance but aren't sure where to start, why not start online? Just go to policygenius.com, compare policies, and get the best deal. It only takes a few minutes to find the right life insurance policy, apply, and cross another thing off your list. And as a special bonus, they can also help you find the right home and auto insurance or disability insurance. Okay, time for the mailbag. Thank you for all the letters and questions we get. You can send us your question. Just email the hacks at hacksontap at gmail.com. That's hacksontap at gmail.com. We can't answer all of them, but we pick a couple, and we have some great ones this week. Axe, what do you got? So, Murphy, I'm picking this uh, question uh, not because the questioner's name is David, uh, but because <laughs> it seemed, and it's not me, by the way. 
we seem to be seeing a large number of House retirements, uh, GOP retirements. Is this an unusually high number for a presidential year? Is this an indirect measure of how party insiders are reading the internal polling and the mood of the electorate? Well, David, I think, not David, David, mailbag David, I think it's all the above. Uh, one, it's never any fun to be in the minority. When in the House, when you're in the majority, you have all the power, all the cool stuff. In the minority, you kind of watch and complain. So a lot of House Republicans enjoyed the majority. We lost it thanks to our astounding president. And so a lot of them are like, time to hang it up. They don't see a path to get it back. I think they're tired of the president. They're tired of the grind in Washington. They Many of the older ones hearken to a time when, you know, at least publicly, you could get along a bit more. So it, it, it's a really sad thing, and it's a big story that I think deserves a lot of attention. People who fight hard to get into Congress are thrown in the towel and given up. Um, it's not a good thing, but it's very true, and it's for all those reasons. There is a burden associated, too. I mean, all those guys would get reelected, virtually all of them, because yep. they come from Republican districts. But the burden of being in the minority, as you point out, is high. And the burden of serving with Trump is high uh, because there are things that uh, you have to defend as you watch now through this impeachment hearing that you really don't want to have to do. Uh, and it's just uh, you're walking a tightrope all the time between, uh, uh, you know, voting your uh, conscience and free will and, and, and carrying the freight. And uh, that's burdensome. And I yeah. think you're seeing that show up in a lot of these old timers saying I've had enough and some young yeah, timers you, too. It's too. Will Hurd's a good example. You know, yeah. if you don't want to take on Trump and jump into the civil war, the next best way of protest is to say, I've had enough and walk away. And that's what a lot of them have chosen to do. Not, not a good time for the party. So what do you got for me? <laughs> X for you. I've got from Marissa. As the most religious Christian in the field, who has been very public and forthcoming about his faith, wouldn't you expect Pete Buttigieg to resonate greatly with the southern states' black communities that are mostly people of the Christian faith? Do you think he should be capitalizing on this more to reach those voters? What gives here? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I wouldn't necessarily certify him as the most religious Christian in the field. He's been the most overt about uh, about quoting scripture and talking about faith in the campaign. And, and he did that more earlier in the race. And I thought it was a smart thing uh, to do because it does uh, cross a lot of lines. Um, and uh, it is valuable. It, you know, one of the interesting paradoxes is some of the people who, uh, who are most motivated by faith may also be uh, the people who are most resistant to him uh, as a gay man. Uh, and, uh, so it, it was always interesting to me that he was so fluent, uh, in scripture and he's been doing a little bit less lately. I would do more of it. I don't know whether it's going to unlock, uh, you know, his, his, uh, challenges in the African-American community, which by the way, I think have as much to do with unfamiliarity as anything else. And a couple of big wins may help him, uh, uh, unlock that door. But I think it's smart. I think, look, if you look back at the uh, last three presidents who've been elected, Democratic presidents, they've all been people of faith who've been uh, who've been who've not been shy about quoting scripture and talking about what their faith means to them. I think in America, that's a big cultural cue uh, and it broadens the electorate and broadens, uh, you know, the receptivity to your candidacy. Uh, so. You know, I would look at uh, to him to do more of that as as this race goes on. 
All I can say is hallelujah. No, I totally agree. I think if he wins an early state and the big lens turns to him, who is Pete Buttigieg? This will be part of it, and it helps, and it helps him compete in a lot of places, including those critical African-American voters in South Carolina and beyond, as well as Latino voters in the caucus in Nevada and other places. It is a plus for him, and my guess is it'll get more famous. One of his big moments we should point out was, uh, was you know, when he challenged uh, Mike Pence, who you know, who uh, is evangelical and uh, has uh, made faith so much a part of his politics. Uh, when he challenged Pence on uh, on Trump, uh, that was one of the big breakthrough moments that he had early in the race. Uh, and he challenged him f- from the standpoint of someone who uh, is a believer and quotes scripture and so on. Well, we have a final special question here. You know, we are a worldwide voice. Our podcast is downloaded all over the place. And we have live from Leeds to do a little callback. Kobe, who writes, final question here, ahead of our own election in the UK this week, I have noticed a tendency for political commentators to assume that all working class voters are white and that there are no minority voters in the post-industrial parts of the country, the Midwest in the case of the USA, and the North Midlands like Leeds in the case of Britain. As a black Briton, this makes for very frustrating viewing when watching commentary in our election. Are you bloody strategists aware that they have this potential blind spot, and does it impact the way candidates are discussed in the wider media as a result? Well, obviously, if it's a blind spot, we're not aware of it. I mean, that's by <laughs> definition. But uh, You and your look- logic... You know, I, I have to say, uh, Kobe, uh, because I, I did some work in Britain. I, I've looked uh, hard at your politics over there. And yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, these working working class voters uh, uh, come in, uh, in, in all uh, colors and backgrounds. Uh, but uh, when you look at the skew of the vote uh, in Britain and you look in, in small towns and rural areas, uh, that is where the base of the leave vote was. You get closer to the cities and more diverse communities. That is where the remain vote was on Brexit. Uh, and in fact, the overlay of the vote, white working class vote, uh, rural, older, whiter, uh, the base of the, uh, of the Brexit vote is very much the base of Donald Trump's vote. People who uh, resent the pace of change feel that uh, the change is conspiring against them. That that uh, things uh, you know that they're fundamentally uh, being uh, cast to the side of the road by modernity, and uh, you know I, I think that principle holds. So no offense, man. No blind spot. I'm just looking at the numbers, man. Yeah, and I think on the commentary side, I don't think that's a problem here. Over there, it might be. I haven't seen enough commentary. But uh, I agree with Axe's point about the populist revolt in the UK looking not very much unlike what we experienced here and in other European countries, too. So good luck with the election over there. And a personal note, please, please, please don't elect Corbyn. Dangerous. Real left-winger. Makes Bernie look like Goldwater. (laughs) Well, Axe, I hear the music. It must be time. Oh, yes. Last call time. Tragically, we saw three splendid young servicemen killed and others injured in uh, Florida uh, last week, Uh, uh, a shooting on a naval base by a Saudi naval officer. And the president of the United States, uh, imagine if that that shooter was from, uh, from another country and not Saudi Arabia, 
it was clearly a terrorist attack. The first thing the president of the United States did was read uh, a letter of sympathy from the king of Saudi Arabia. He was very low key uh, about the whole thing. And, uh, you know, it was plainly a terrorist attack. Uh, but we will never call the Saudis to account for anything uh, under this administration. They can kill Khashoggi. Uh, things like this can happen and they can be unresponsive uh, uh, on this. And we know that Saudi Arabia has been a, a spawning ground for a lot of extremism. Uh, but none of that is confronted. And uh, so that's one of my beefs. And the other is, does any of that matter? Does anybody give a shit about that, Murphy, uh, about foreign policy, about national security? It seems like that is, uh, that is, not, uh, that is not motivational uh, to voters who in the past would have been uh, storming, storming the ramparts on this. <laughs> what, what am I, the oracle? You're asking me? You are um, an oracle. Look, Why do you think you, you think I'd tear uh, up I, with any slacker? <laughs> I, I play one on a podcast radio. Uh, you look, I couldn't agree more on the Saudi issue. It's just yet another brick in a very high and ever-increasing wall of why Donald Trump's unfit to be president. He doesn't understand the job. Uh, he has no empathy. I mean, we could go on for hours. So I'm with you on that. I think, you know, again, it, it's not binary. In other words, does everybody care like they ought to? No. Do people care, enough people that this behavior will catch up with them? I believe in the end it will. Uh, unless you guys nominate Warren or Bernie. Uh, so, you know, it's just, it's it, it's like one plus infinity is how much. Well, it's still infinity. Trump is Trump, and there's more evidence every day. I I, I think people ought to care. And I'll, I'll add uh, my... Wait, before you do your last call, let me just do a check-in. I want to do every once in a while. What would you rate his chances of re-election right now? Uh, you know, I need to know the Democratic nominee, but I'll say his chance of re-election is 35%. All right, I'm 50-50. Go ahead with your last call. All right. We'll get a good uh, Manny's uh, restaurant betting thing set up here before <laughs> okay. the end, maybe even viewers too. Okay, so my last call, short and sweet. Dear FBI, the bent president owes you an apology. Trump made all that deep state bullshit noise. I like how we're going blue now in accent tap. That's the final five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Another martini. Um, <laughs> so... But the the point being, Trump made all this deep state no noise. So did his lackeys, uh, half of them elected in the Republican Party. There was an investigation, totally cleared, totally cleared. Facts count. He owes a great American institution, the FBI, a big damn apology. And of course, they'll never get it. He's already tweeting today uh, more lies. It's out of control. Chris Ray deserves a lot of credit. He was appointed Absolutely. by Trump, the FBI director, at a very difficult time because he had fired Comey. And there was a lot of questions about whether the FBI would continue to be an independent uh, you know, law enforcement agency. And Chris Ray has run the place with integrity from everything I can see. He, yep. he owned up to the mistakes that were in that uh, Inspector General's report uh, and said they made, I think he said, 46 changes in procedure as a result of it. But he said on the main question of whether there was a uh, plot within the FBI, a deep state plot, he said no, because that's what the inspector general said. And he defended his institution. And for that, right. Trump went after him and uh, started, uh, you know, his campaign to, uh, uh, you know, take out another FBI director. And uh, so good on you, Chris Ray. I, I hope that you survive this. Badge of honor. I wish he'd tweet that. Badge of honor, Mr. President. But right, he'll probably get fired now. Um, 
And it's just unbelievable. So no matter what happens with impeachment, this guy is on trial in the election. Okay, well, I think that wraps us up. Again, I apologize. My daughter gave me an A-plus cold here. All right, blame the kid. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. Blame shifting, just like Trump. I take (laughs) responsibility for my cold, and I will see you, my friend, next week. All right, brother, thanks. Thanks. 